Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Scootybarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Scootybarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. September 25th, 1999. Because that was the day that I became a father. And I gotta be honest, what I turn the house lights up, please. What I what I remember the most is the sheer joy of having this little girl who now would be my responsibility to protect and to love and to nurture and to care for, and the sheer terror of realizing that an instruction book did not get delivered with this child. And you see, it was strange because I grew up in a household of boys, and so the only female in my house was my mother, and if we had a girl dog at some point, then that would be part of the deal. But, but I knew how to deal with boys. I mean, with boys, they're like wild dogs. Throw a piece of meat on the floor and let them have it, right? I was thinking to myself, with, with a girl, man, what do you do? I mean, I just, I was clueless, and some would say even still, but the thing about it was, when I, when I saw this little girl named Sarah, God's promise, I, I realized that her life was going to go by so fast. And I literally, in the delivery room, remember seeing her graduate from high school, and I, and I saw her walk down the aisle, and, and, I, and I had, it's like when you die, they say you see your life flash before you. Well, when Sarah was born, I saw all these things. I don't, I, I, I just, it was weird. And it was like, oh man, this is, this is real now. And then two other kids made me a father two other times. And so my wife and I have had the privilege of raising three kids. And I am not sad one bit that they are adults and are on their own. Not sad one bit. Shannon a little bit so. But that whole empty nest syndrome, it's a lie. Doesn't work. Okay, maybe <laughs> yell You are a cold-hearted snake. No, but what I realized, though, is, is they were never really my kids in the first place. I never was truly responsible for being their sole provider and sole protector. God loved them more than I ever could, but he put me and my wife responsible for raising them underneath his protection. But what I want to talk about to you today is that very thing called fatherhood. Because if you ask questions about what's wrong with our culture. You're going to hear a bunch of different things, drugs and, and addiction to alcohol and um, pornography, and we've got uh, greed, and we've got all these things. But you can take all of society's brokenness, and you can boil it down to fatherlessness. It is rampant in our country and in the world. As a culture, we have so disabled the father, the office of father, the role of father, the nature of father. Father is now even an offensive word. It's a confusing word. And as a result of this constant onslaught against fatherhood, we are now reaping exactly what we've sown. Do you know that statistically speaking, children who are raised without fathers in the home... now? 
This is just for children without fathers in the home. This doesn't even account for those who have men in the home who don't act like fathers. So this is just no, no, no man in the house. They are statistically at greater risk for every single social issue there are. Drug and alcohol abuse, uh, leaving school early, not graduating, obesity, uh, going to prison. And you just, li- you just look up any study online and you will find that homes without a father put children at great risk. Now, let me be clear. It doesn't mean that if you grow up in a home without a father that you're going to automatically go in those directions. I know some amazing people who were raised by a single mom. Single moms are my heroes, by the way, in case you don't know, because their job is incredibly difficult. But having said that and actually believing that, I also want to say to you this. Nothing can take the place of a father. Nothing can. We like to say, well, mom will just be father and mother, but that's impossible because the role of a father can only be taken by a man because the definition of father is that they are of the male species. Now, listen, women can, can, can do some of the fathering stuff, but it still doesn't fully change the fact that a father, by definition and by role, is a man. Do you know that basically a quarter of households in this country, so one out of every four households has a fa- is a fatherless household? Over 18 million children right now in our country have nobody as acting as their father. And as a result, we see where society is. In fact, this is most prevalent in the African-American society. If you go all the way back before the 50s, there was always a father in the home and the stability in an African-American family was quite stable. Now, there were other issues going around society-wise, but, but because the fathers were present, there was some stability there. There was strength there. The moment fatherhood in the African-American community started to disappear, you started to see massive amounts of, of injustices and, and, and of brokenness in those communities. And I have, well, put it this way, that was planned. Just go back and look at history. That was actually planned, but we won't talk about that today, will we? All right, open your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. When I say that was planned, um, it really is true. There were, there were groups and there were people, there were ideologies that intentionally tried to remove the father presence. And it's still happening today, only today it is society-wide. What I want us to look at today is this. Not only the role of the father, but predominantly the results of a lack of fatherhood. Okay, And so this is a broad scope, a general, general look at this. But I want to start in Genesis chapter 1 to lay a foundation because here's what I've discovered. And I actually discovered this way too late in life. Every issue we deal with in life is covered in Genesis 1 through 11. Every problem we'll ever, ever deal with, God has already set a foundation with these first 11 chapters to give us clarity and a foundation of, of what God intended, what, ma- what the enemy broke, and then how God is going to restore it. It's all in those first 11 chapters. Now listen, in our society today, 
there is an aggressive attack and has been for years against Genesis 1 through 11. Now, they didn't say it that way, but every single political, quote-unquote political issue, that's really not political, it's really a biblical issue, everyone has been against the foundation. Abortion, killing unborn children, that's a Genesis 1 through 11 issue that God clearly deals with that the enemy comes in and tries to undermine. The nature of the nuclear family, a father and a mother. The nature and I, uh, uh, of gender. The nature of sexuality. The nature of marriage. All of these hot button issues that we're dealing with right now. The, actually, the nature of AI, artificial intelligence. All of that we can find God established in Genesis 1-11 through 11 as this is what I as God made. This is how I made it and this is why I made it. So it's no surprise that the enemy is taking hits or shooting, shooting arrows every single day at this, right? The issue we're going to deal with today is the issue of being a father. And we can't have a father unless we have a man. And we can't have a man if the world says, no, 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 no. Men really aren't that important. In fact, men and women are fluid. You can be whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, and not only do you have to agree with that ideology, but you have to verbally state it and then support it if you want to be accepted in our culture today. Do you know that's true? Here's the deal. It doesn't matter how much we want to believe something. It doesn't matter how much we we say something. We can repeat something over and over and over. But there are some things that God has ordained since the beginning of creation that cannot, will not, and shall not ever be changed from what actually is reality. It's just the way God established it. In our culture today, it is said that you can be a boy, you can be a girl, you can be a cat... You can be a fairy princess, you can be a lizard, you can be a rock, and, and, and you can't ever tell somebody they don't have the right to decide for themselves what they are. Can I just tell you that that's not what the Bible says? The Bible says something totally different. Listen to what the Bible says in, in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, that right there is the beginning, then God said. Now see, you and I, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a totally different perspective of this than the rest of the world does. Because our authority is based in Scripture, and our authority is that there is a God, I am not Him, and so He said, and therefore I listen or I obey. Some might say, well, that's awfully constricting. Well, have you ever tried to fly a balloon without a string? Or have you ever tried to fly a kite without a string? If the kite were to say to the string, this string is constricting me, and cut the string off, what would the kite do? Crash and burn. Why? Because the control of the string is what keeps, or excuse me, the control of the, the kite by the string is what keeps the kite from self-destructing. What we're seeing today is a race towards self-destruction. 
And it's not something that should surprise us. It is something that we should have seen coming all along because Jesus said in the last days, men will be lovers themselves, lovers of evil, lovers of uh, be insolent, be disobedient to parents. And everything we're seeing today, Jesus said, hey, it's going to get worse and not better. Now, I've had conversations with people who think that that's a very pessimistic look. They're saying, look, there's still hope. I believe there is still hope, but the hope is not that we're suddenly going to become a good group of people. My hope is that the gospel is going to redeem people out of the culture, not redeem the culture. I'll just say it plainly. If you think that our culture is somehow going to become holy and righteous, and that somehow, somewhere, whether it's through political maneuvering or whether it's through grand revival, that all of the evil in the, our culture is going to go, hey, no longer are we going to be evil. We're going to follow Jesus. That has never happened. And it will not happen. Why? Because the enemy is alive and well. And here's why it's going to get worse and not better. You're like, I'm glad I came to church today. Hey, listen, we've got good news. I'm just, I'm just telling you the truth so we can get to the truth, truth, right? Here's the deal. In the last days, I think, and I think the scripture teaches this, the enemy knows his days are numbered. He is literally going to unleash hell upon the earth. Every demon will be unleashed on the earth. There are two kinds of people when they know they're going to die. The one kind of person says, I'm going to make right with everybody I'm wrong with. I'm going to make amends. I'm going to do good. I'm going I'm to die righteous and, and right with as many as possible. The other side says, if I'm going to die, I'm going to take as many people to hell with me as I possibly can. That's what the devil wants to do. So in these days of chaos, we're only getting what we know was promised at the end. Evil will become more prevalent, but God said... And if you believe what God said about eternity, you should believe what God said about the beginning. And here's what he said about the beginning. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. What does that mean? You say, wait a minute. Our image? Our likeness? What does that mean? Well, we serve a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are not three gods. They are one God in three persons. Now, we are made in his image, right? In the image of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you look at us, we are triune as well. We are physical, we are spiritual, and we are emotional, right? So we're one person, but we have those three different parts because we're made in the image or in the likeness of God. But what does it mean to be made in the likeness of God? It means that we reflect God's glory, he put his glory inside of us so that we reveal and reflect the glory of who he is. Now listen, there's a difference between us and creation. The glory of God is not inside of the sunrise. The sunrise declares God's glory, but the sunrise is not the image of God. It says there is a God who made something so marvelous and so beautiful, but a sunrise doesn't feel, a sunrise isn't kind, a sunrise isn't loving, a sunrise does not have joy, peace, or none of those things, because the sunrise comes from the sun, and the sun is a creation that is not living and breathing. 
But see, there's one group of things on the earth that God elevated above everything else. On the first day, he made this. On the second day, and the third day. And on the sixth day, God said, let us make mankind in our own image. In other words, let's make someone who reflects us as fully as humanly possible. Now, to be clear, we don't have all power. We don't have all know. We don't have the infinite nature of God. But we reflect his glory because he intended for us to rule as his stewards or as his managers of what he created on this earth. The Bible tells us they will rule the fish of the sea, the bird. By the way, amen to that. Right? Thank you, Jesus, for giving us snapper season. It's right there in the Bible. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So there is a a, a look of creation in, in mankind, and the look is that we look like God. Let's say it differently. We look like Jesus, right? Now, when you look at Jesus, the Bible tells us that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So he is the, the, uh, the, the firstborn of all creation. He's the image of the invisible God. That's Colossians. So when we want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus, and if we want to know what we're supposed to look like, what do we do? We look at Jesus. So who is your role model? Who is your uh, leader? Jesus. The whole point of everything we're doing here today is Jesus. The whole of Scripture is Jesus. By the way, I had a conversation with a friend of mine this past week that there's a real problem within church people that they love the Word of God more than they love the person who is the Word. The Word made flesh. Do you know that it's possible to, be, to let the Scripture be idolatry? If the Word doesn't make you look like Jesus, if it simply gives you head knowledge and if it makes you really, really smart and really, really uh, uh, good at telling people how smart you are, but you don't look like Jesus, then you have an idolatry of the Word and you've missed the whole point of the Word. And it's, you, you, you think that's not true, but it is. Because Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know the letter of the law, but you have no idea what it means. That was his charge against them. Don't hear what I'm not saying. The word of God is absolutely true in every possible way. We know Jesus through God's word. We don't know him apart from God's word. But, he, but the word should never be lifted higher than this is so I can know him. It's not so I can know this. Do you understand the distinction there? Jesus is always superior every time. And if we're not careful, we can, we can get that backwards. And so we're to rule over the fish of the sea. We know what we're supposed to look like. We're supposed to look like Jesus, the image of the invisible God. But we also know that our role, our role is to rule and reign. Now, how do we know how to rule and reign? Well, we know that Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. So whatever he said it looks like, that's what we're supposed to do as we rule over the fish and over the sea and all those things, right? But now here's where we need to understand this understood uh, concept of father. God created mankind in his own image. So he created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. That solves the question. He didn't create them male and female and cat. 
Because a cat will never bear the image of God. The only thing that can bear the image of God is male and female. Listen, it sounds like I'm over making the point, but I don't think it's possible to overmake this point because if you take away the fundamentals of male and female, then you no longer have mother and father because the role of mother is distinct and it's important and the role of father is distinct and important. And if you no longer have male, you have no father. And isn't that exactly what the father of lies, the devil, himself would want to do. If I were the devil, I would come through and I would convince everybody you can do whatever you want to do. You could be whatever you want to be. And by the way, fatherhood is not all that important. Because fatherhood means I'm not thinking of me. My life has been given for my children. Let me tell you something. I distinctly remember when my kids were little, when there was a threat, I would bow up and jump in front of them And I would become, at least in my heart, a gladiator. Now, I know outside I don't look like a gladiator, but you would have to kill me to get to my children. Amen? Now, I know mothers do that as well. But there's a difference between mothers and fathers. Now, this... See, we live in a messed up world where you can't even say this anymore, but here's this, I understand the difference. And here's, here's my observational difference, okay? When there's a threat to the children, Shannon will gather them up and she'll hold, hover over them like this. Say, don't you dare. And she'll, she'll, kill, she'll fight you on it. Me, when I see a threat on its way, I'm gonna say, you watch the kids. And I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of it out there. In my mind, that's, a difference between the two. They're protecting both, they're both protecting, but there's this, there's this sense of responsibility in a father that runs toward the danger to deal with it because you want to make sure that your children, your family are safe. Would you agree with that, that that's probably pretty safe? Now, now here's the thing. In this world, that's sexist. That's wrong. You can't talk about it like that because women do it too. Listen, We're arguing a point that really shouldn't be argued. Why would we not want fathers to protect their children at all costs? Why would we want to uh, emasculate a father and say, you're not really all that important. Just stand over the side. We even have people saying that, well, your children really have a right to decide for themselves if they even want to be in your family. See, God agrees. I listened to a girl this week on, on a YouTube thing, and she literally sued her parents. This is the insanity in which we're living. She sued her parents because her parents gave birth to her without her consent. And she was serious. It really was a, it was a, it was a real suit. And her argument was this. Her parents should have consulted a psychic medium to get in touch with the unborn child, her, and ask her, do you give consent for us to conceive and, have, and, have, and give birth? And, and here's, the, here's the thing. People are like, yes, yes, you have the right. And I'm saying, what insane world are we living in? You know what we're living in? We're living in a real, live metaverse. 
Metaverse is this place out there in Neverland that says you can create your own personality. You can make yourself look like what you want to look like. You can create your friends. You can create your villages. You can have a whole kingdom under yourself. You just put on your goggles and you take your thumbs and you just live in your metaverse. And it's moved from the imaginary into everyday life. Folks, you want to tell me that the world's not chaotic and that all hell isn't being unleashed upon us? Hang tight. There's good news. So male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. He said, I've made you to reflect my image, and I'm going to bless you. And as I bless you, I'm going to send you out to do a few things. Number one, multiply. I want you to have lots and lots of offspring that look just like you because they'll look just like me. And I want you to Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife, for every bird of the sea, for every creature that crawls on the earth. Everything having the breath of life in it, I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. Notice what God did. He said, I'm going to make male and female, and then I'm going to give them the command. And by the way, he gave this same capacity to the animals and to the seed-bearing flute. The whole purpose is to multiply, to reproduce, and to fill the earth. Do you know that if the enemy wanted to destroy the image of God, what he would need to do is keep us from multiplying and filling the earth Because the less of us there are, the more rain he gets. I want you to follow me here. Every every moral, political, whatever they call it, biblical issue ultimately deals with the ability or not to multiply. Think about it. If you have a man and a man who decide to get married, that's the end of that life. Because when they die, they die. Same thing with a woman and a woman. When they die, they die. It is physiologically impossible for two women to naturally have a child. You say, well, they could just have it unnaturally. Yeah, but guess what? They still needed a guy to make that happen, which kind of proves the point, right? What about taking the life of a child who's quote-unquote unwanted? There are no unwanted children. If a child is conceived, God is in it. In fact, China is facing the result of this very issue. In China, the issue now is this. Their population is stunted. They don't have enough people. You're like, how do they not have enough people? They don't have enough people to do all that they need to do because their population is top-heavy without enough coming through because they had a one-child policy that said you can have one child. Well, guess what? A family doesn't want a girl. They want a boy. So countless millions of little girls were aborted or killed because they weren't the right child for the family. So now you got a whole bunch of boys who have no girls they can marry 
Not only that, but when a boy does find a girl and they get married, the other problem on the other end is now they have a mom and a dad on the girl's side and a mom and dad on the boy's side. So they have two sets of parents that the one couple now has to provide for the rest of their life. So you went from two incomes now to one income supplying three different families. Do you see the stress that's putting on them? My family, we have three boys. And with three boys, you have three daughters-in-law. So my, my dad, you're in good shape because the daughters-in-law love you. Benji, you, you're, you, you're fine. For Shannon, her, she had th- two sisters, right? So they're dealing with their parents. You've got three families dealing with one set of parents. It's upside down in China. So you follow? It's the same way in Europe, not because of the one-child policy, but because they said, we don't really want to have any more kids. We don't want to bring them into this world, blah, blah, blah. Now they don't have enough people to support the, co- the, uh, the life that they're trying to live. There, is, there are a few exceptions to that, though. That's another conversation. So God said, I've given every green for plant, and it was good. Now, turn, if you will, to, Gen- to uh, Galatians. So this is the foundation that we just laid, or tried to lay it anyways, that God established man and woman, and the role of man was father in Genesis chapter 1. But if we go to Galatians, I want us to see the role of our heavenly father. Because I think what, the way God acts as father ought to help us to act as father. And again, this is a 30,000 foot view. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 3, in the same way also when we were children... We're in, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you also an heir. So here's... What a father does. A father guides and raises up and trains a son or a daughter to be an adult who is mature and healthy and free and living, uh, living a life that God has intended for them and, and, and built for them. So living as a son or living as an heir or a co-heir, Right? So that, that's the goal. Now, I want you to think of that, that understanding. Let's say you have a rich father, and as a child, you're being raised to take over his assets when the father's no longer living. So put that picture in your mind, right? And, and the father's a good father, so he's not giving you Lamborghinis, and, and he's, he's making you work, he's making you cut the yard, and you've got to earn stuff, right? So he's, he's raising you, training you right, because he knows that you eventually are going to be the one who who owns everything that the father owns. That's the idea. The opposite of that is a slave. A slave, in our mindset, is one who was, who was captured and who was forced to work, has no rights, has no voice, has no possessions. All they do is they labor day in and day out when the master tells them to do 
what he wants him to do. That's our mindset of slave, right? These are the things that the Bible plays off of each other to describe our nature in ourself and our nature in Christ. Here's what I mean, or here's what the Scripture says. So it says in verse 3, um, in the same way also, when we were children, we, we were in slavery under the elements of the world, right? So you and I were slaves before Christ. That means that we were in bondage. We were in chains. Now, we had this illusion of freedom. I do what I want. Even today in this chaotic world, people are like, I do what I want. No, you don't do what you want. You are slave to sin, which means everything you're doing is because the sin inside of you is bringing that out in your life. It, it, it's whatever sin that might be, greed or lust or anger. So your life is being lived in response to what you are a slave to, pride, all those things. And so you really don't have freedom. You think you do, but what you are is a kite that's just being blown away and, and tossed by the wind. So he says, we were slaves in the way that we were because we were under the law. But when the time of completion came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. That means that at the right time in history, which we know as 0 AD, right? When Jesus entered into the world, he began the process of the final sacrifice. Words are kind of weird here, so just I'm doing the best. We're trying to describe this, right? So he began walking those 30 years of life until at 30 years or so, he started grabbing his disciples. About three years later, he was crucified on a cross, being the final sacrifice for sin. Here's what happened when he died on a cross. He said a few words. Some of those words were these, paid in full. What he did was he paid the debt for your sin that caused you to be a slave to sin. It was paid in full, took a stamp, and he marked it right on the, right on the contract there. And then he started the process of adoption. So he, he ended your slavery and he began to bring you into the family as an adopted son. Now, why would you be adopted? Here's the deal. Everyone who lives is not a child of God. God is not the father of every human. He's only the father of those who've been adopted into his family. You say, well, how is that true? Well, the Bible tells us in uh, John chapter 8, verse 44, that Jesus said, he was talking to the Pharisees, he said, you are acting just like your father. They said, our father is Abraham. And then they, a little few verses later, they said, our father is God alone. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You're acting just like your father, the devil. He's the father of lies, and you're just like him. So everybody that lives doesn't have God as the father. You become a child of God through regeneration. In John chapter 3, it says that you're born again, but what what, uh, what the scripture says in, in uh, Galatians is that born again is the process of being adopted. Now, here's the cool thing about adoption. To be adopted means that you were chosen and intentionally pursued. And an adoption is a legal contract. When you're a child without a father, 
and somebody comes and says, look, I want you to be a part of my family. You're ecstatic, right? But when you come into the family, the family goes before the judge and the judge makes a legal contract that says you now are responsible for every single need of that child. God the Father, if you're in Christ Jesus, has adopted you into his family. He has written a contract and he said, you are no longer a slave, you are a son. And because you are a son, you are an heir and a co-heir of Christ. That means everything I have belongs to you. Everything. My kingdom is your kingdom. Now that doesn't mean like Richie Rich, you can just drive whatever Rolls Royce you want. It means that you now are part of a family and you get the benefits of that family, but you still yield to the fact that he is your father. Because I know in my house, disobedience to the Father will bring consequences of discipline, right? It's the same way in God's house. So this, Eve, this morning when I close this, I want you to just hear this. We live in a world that is in monstrous chaos because we are slaves to sin. That means I do what I want, but I'm really just doing what my flesh wants. And it's like a wild rabid animal embracing every pleasure possible and because of Christ Jesus I've been not only totally forgiven for violating the law but I've also been washed clean I don't smell anymore I'm clean my clothes aren't stained and scarred anymore I'm cleaned and I'm clean because of the blood of Jesus that he shed on Calvary's cross nearly 2,000 years ago. And because I'm now clean, I'm now able to be in God's presence, and I'm also given a title as son, a son of the living God. And so now the life I live, I don't live for me, because I know from where I was rescued. My life is not my own. I serve at the pleasure of my king. He's my king, but he's also Abba, Father. Does that make sense? So this morning, I want you to leave with this thought. The world is not getting better. It's getting chaotic, and, and, and if you just watch the news, it's going to frustrate you, and you're going to be tempted to want to speak truth everywhere. But I'm, I, listen, Romans... Uh, I believe it's chapter 1, talks about the way the mind is given over to what it wants when you reject God long enough. I want to tell you that those are the days we're living in. But don't be frustrated. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Be faithful to pursuing Jesus through his word. And it's real simple. If he says it, believe it and do it. And you'll be just fine. Amen? This morning I want to ask you, have you trusted Christ Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, will you do that today? It's by grace you're saved through faith, not of your works. You know, sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we, um, sometimes in our own righteousness we, 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 we speak truth about sins or about people who are who are slaves to sin, and, and it can come across as angry at people. 
We need to be very, very careful that we don't equate the people with the sin. In other words, there's not a person on this planet that God doesn't love and doesn't want to redeem for His own glory. In fact, the Bible tells us that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. That means when somebody wicked dies, he doesn't go, you deserve that. What that verse tells us is that there's a certain sense of mourning in the heart of God when the wicked die. God help us if we don't have the same kind of compassion for everybody we see. Because but by the grace of God, so go I. Right? So whether the person is, well, it doesn't matter. Whatever they're slave to, you never have the right to be unkind. You never have the right to withhold compassion. You never have the right to be ungraceful. And you never have the right to not love them. All of those things Jesus displayed over and over and over. Therefore, we have to do the same. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that, that um, on this day, you would help us to recognize your heart for your creation. I pray that this day you would help us to understand that if we're in Christ, we've been adopted as sons and as daughters of the Most High. And Father, I pray that we would not boast about that as if we earned it or deserved it. God, may we remember that it is totally a gift of grace. And I pray that because of that recognition, as a, that it's a gift, that we would display grace to everybody we meet. Father, we need you now more than ever before, and I pray that you would give us endurance and courage and hope like never before. We ask in Jesus' name.